Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Animal Addicts podcast. On today's episode, Casey talks about some legal action against the federal government for not protecting a specific endangered species. I talk about a returning terror from 2020, kind of. And of course, we talk about some awesome new picks and about one of the cooler animals of the week I think we've ever discussed. So let's get to it. Episode 56 of the Animal Addicts podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 56 of the Animal Addicts podcast. As always, we're your host, Allie. And Casey. And today we're going to talk about a whole new batch of animals. But before we do, uh, what have you been up to, Casey, since last I saw you? So, a while ago I got to see the meteor shower. Nice. How was it? It was good. That's because you're out, yeah, you're out in the boonies, so you actually can see it. (laughs) We have a lot of light pollution, so it wasn't. Like, I remember an article saying, on average, typically throughout the year, you may see, like, one or two uh, shooting stars an hour. Mm -hmm. Um, And this one, at the peak, was when I was watching, you can expect to see, like, 60 or even up to 100 per hour. Yeah, it usually happens the week before my birthday. Mm -hmm. And we had, back when we lived out in the country, we had um, kids over for my class. One weekend, because mm-hmm. we had a meteor shower party, because our driveway was really big, so we just, like, lay out lawn chairs or towels and just lay and stare at the sky, and back in the day, there wasn't a lot of light pollution out there. Yeah. And then the next weekend, we had my birthday party, so yeah. good times. Yeah. But that's one thing I miss about out there, is actually being able to see that. Yeah. I only saw, like, six per night, but my mom was oh, jealous. Really? Cause, How yeah. long did you stay out there? An hour. At home, where you have light pollution, or somewhere better? At home. Oh, okay. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes it harder. Yeah. I know I want a good place to go where I don't have to worry about being, like, murdered by somebody. You know what I mean? Like, you have to go with at least a small group of people. You do? At least a couple people. <laughs> I'm not laying out in the dark with my defenses down, like... I will. Okay. I've lived long enough. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, so that's fun, though. So you got to see the meteor shower. I'm a little jealous. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot of bit jealous, actually. Is that it? That's all you wrote yes. since last time I saw it? Okay. Sounds good. I took the day off work for my birthday, because that's the best present of all, is not being at work. And I went to the animal park for the first time in forever, using my new pass. <laughs> the um, ugly pass. Yeah, my ugly new pass. Mm-hmm. And took a friend with me. And, and a few things. One, this new pass is significantly more expensive than my old pass. <laughs> and one of the benefits is that you get preferred parking at the animal park. Uh-huh. But they weren't doing preferred parking, so everyone could just park up there. <laughs> so I was like, I better be able to find a spot easily or I'm actually going to go complain because this was a lot of extra money, and that's one of the only tiny new benefits versus what the old pass did. So I'm like, you better be doing this when it's busy because I'm going to actually be pissed and want, like, some money back because <laughs> I'm not getting that perk then. Um, so anyway, so we did that, and then we um, we only went for a couple hours, and we were over by the quaddies. Not oh, yeah. the Quadamundi. And they were actually active and moving Wait, around. Quadi? So there was only one? No, Quadamundi. That's what I said second. Yeah, that means one. Oh, I lied to you. Actually, no, I didn't. Because <laughs> at that time, I didn't lie to you because that day there was only one out. Yeah. But it was active and actually moving around. So I was like, oh my God, I've never seen this. 
Really? Like, no, they're always sleeping. Every time. I've seen them out quite a few times. Well, this is the first time. It also was overcast and like drizzled a little bit that day, which was kind of good because it's been obviously really hot and the park is not the best place when it's hot. But anywho, so the quaddy was out, quad Monday in this case because it was only one. And then, um, what else? The tigers are closed off. Yes. And then I wound up going back to the animal park um, on the weekend because my dad's out here. So I took him to see the platypus and do the tram since that's open again. And the Quadmundi, because that time <laughs> there were three of them out, were active again. Quaddy then. I did it wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> Quaddy. You would think I'd know this. And I was telling him, like, that was our first animal of the week. Look how cute they are. Um, anyway, so they were out being awesome but the tigers were closed off again so this time i actually asked and i suspected correctly covid yeah two of them tested positive for covid (laughs) so they (sighs) shut off the whole tiger area until they feel like you know everyone's in quarantine and all that stuff so anyway so it's like i bet that's why so anyway and they said it was like over a month and a half before they opened up the gorillas again back when they got covid forever ago oh yeah so the tigers have been shut down i guess for like two weeks already so she was like we don't know (laughs) How much longer they'll be closed? I'm like, that makes sense, though. My mom will be upset. Tigers are like her favorite. Yeah. Well, don't go for another probably month is my guess. Anyway, um, so that's why they were closed off. And we saw the platypus. Not much when my friend and I went, but my dad and I went. He mm-hmm. came out a bit. And the uh, kangaroo and all of them were just chilling. They weren't. I didn't run into any. <laughs> they weren't even on the pathway. Um, but, yeah, it was nice to go. And then we did the um, tramp. And the day I went with my friend on my actual birthday, I have priority boarding now for the tram but yeah it's like such a short line i showed her i'm like do i even bother she's like i mean it's a short line but you get first pick so i was yeah. like we'll just do that it's fine but then when my dad and i went it was a little more crowded because it was mm-hmm. saturday so so then it actually came in a little more handy but anyway so yeah it was kind of it's kind of weird because it's just both days were overcast <laughs> and on the weekend it was actually raining very lightly the morning that we were going to go to the park. So I was like, well, we'll see if it clears up at all. Oh, and a bunch of animals have been moved, Casey. Yes, I, I remember you so telling me this. Thr- I know, I texted you from there. I was like, <laughs> what? The Red River Hog, when you're on the tram, they're not there anymore. It's. Oh, oh I thought you meant the... When you said River River Hog, I thought you meant from where the old copies were. No, I didn't <laughs> see them over there either. Hmm. But, no, the Red River Hog on the tram. You know how on the yeah, right-hand side? Yeah, I know side, what you're talking about. Yeah, now it's, shoot, I forgot what they are. I feel like they used to be somewhere else. It's some sort of antelope, and I feel like they were somewhere else before. But no Red River Hogs over there. Um, also, the main plains just looks kind of barren. Like, I feel like they must have taken a herd of somebody out. Hmm. Because it just seems very empty. And I don't see any ostrich in there, and the girls were I've never there. seen ostrich, honestly. And they're really... I know they're there, because I follow them on Instagram. I see videos of them. Yeah, I, I didn't see them out there at all, either day. And it just looks kind of barren, so I'm like, I feel like there's a herd of some sort of antelope missing from out there. Mm. And then when you get up to the, the top of it, you know, where you have the... What is that one enclosure on the right-hand side with the island and everything with the... Is that where the bongo are? What are the ones you Yeah, that's see? where the bongo are. Yeah, so the bongo are never up front. They were up front this time. They actually came to the front. No fair. Um, but there were also roan antelope in there. And I was like, since when do you put roan antelope in there? But there's still roan antelope on the other side. Hmm. So that was weird to me. And then, um, and the giant elands, not there. I'm pretty upset. I don't know where they moved them. Hmm. But I'm not happy about it. In the plains exhibit? 
No, now I'm not talking or, about Bradley Okay, okay. No, so the eland, those eland are in there still. But the giant eland are not by the Okapi anymore. Hmm. So I'm very hmm. upset because I love them. Although, whatever, I forgot to look because we were, at that point, we had to leave quickly because he had to get somewhere. But um, they put something else in there now, which they're beautiful. So, and I didn't have time with my dad either to go check them out again. But they're like this kind of white, they must be like a desert animal. They're really Long pretty. horns? Like straight No, back. not not like an oryx. Mm. No, they're like kind of curved. They're really beautiful. So I do want to go look at them again. But I was just upset because where is my eland? <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just so thrown. I'm like, so many animals are moved around. And then the nursery area they're working on completely. So oh. there's a lot of stuff shut down, man. It's kind of weird. Oh, and also the lorikeets, maybe it's because of COVID, are $8 now. Eight bucks? To go in. The nectar's included. Wait, so... You can't just like go. So can you go in without buying the nectar? No, I don't think so. <gasps> I have a feeling. Those I have a feeling it's because of COVID. It also wasn't open either day I was there. But I'm pissed. But there's a sign and it's eight dollars, and I was like eight dollars for nectar. It was three dollars before, and that was already awful. So it includes the nectar. But so I have, can't just walk through. No, they have limited amounts of people to let in, and it wasn't even open. Like I said when I was there, and on a Saturday you think it would be. Do I not get a discount with my pass? I, I don't know if that works for that. I am getting like a discount. Going in and seeing the lorikeets. I hardly ever feed them. I got I got a discount on mm. my refill for my fountain drink with my pass, which I never used to before because they didn't do it on refills, but now they do apparently. They always ask me for it. And it's like, am I actually getting a discount? Because now they like, do. Because also, I now have fifteen percent discount because I'm special with my ugly pass. Mm. Um, but anyway. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Anyway, so it was just a lot of changes. And I was like, what is happening? I'm not okay with this. It was very upsetting. So seriously, mm-hmm. I can't see my red river hogs or my giant eland. Two of my picks, Casey. Two of my picks for our podcast. <sighs> I can't see them. It's very upsetting. For anyway, shame. Still nice to go, though. Yeah. But still, it was, you know, it was kind of upsetting. One of the things my mom complains about is <laughs> that... Re- wait, no, this is more at the zoo. Um... That she hardly ever gets to actually see the lion roaring. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, we always a lot of times we'll hear him, but what's his name? See. Izu is that the Izu. one at the park? Yeah. He was about well the day one of my birthday as we were leaving he started roaring. Ah. I heard him. I was like, of course you did because we were just down there and now you're gonna roar. <laughs> and then when I went with my dad a few days later, he was laying on top of the car, which I'm so happy they put that back in there because yeah. it was gone for so long and they loved that thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Chris Warren, they told me there was a reason for it, but I can't remember. I'm now. sure there was a reason, but you know. Like, oh wait, no, or did they change that with the cups? I don't know. I can't remember now. Anyway, but then last night we were there, toward the, more toward closing by the lions, and someone started giving them snacks, so they went over there and got their snacks. Mm. So anyway, it was it was still fun, but it was just weird and different. And if they don't do preferred parking, I can't get a spot. I'm definitely going to go complain and be like, I want a credit then. Because I remember a long time ago, they almost always asked me if I want a preferred parking. They used to always do when you came in. Yeah. But they don't have anyone manning it right now. So what yeah. would be the point? Mm-hmm. And also, I was like, I've never felt the need at the safari park. Like at the zoo, I could see a need for preferred parking. Are you kidding me? I'd rather it at the park than at the zoo. The zoo is flat. Yeah, but it's. I feel like it's a longer walk. I don't think so. Not if you're down at the bottom. On a really busy day when they have those dirt lots open? You kidding me? No way, dude. Uh, Difference of opinion. It's also usually hotter at the park, so I just don't want to be walking uphill. Yes, but I'm heat tolerant. That's nice for you. (laughs) You're heat tolerant. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've never done well with the heat, so anyway. But yeah, so that was it. But it was still nice to go to the animal park. It was just, I was very confused. You're going to have to go. Have you not been in a while? See, I think I remember the thing you said about the Red River hogs. Yeah. Like, I remember not seeing them on the tram. I don't remember if I remember... What? <laughs> I don't remember if the roan antelope were in that area. In the like, right-hand yeah. side? Yeah, it was really weird to me because they were still on the left-hand side. So I'm like, why am I seeing roan antelope over there? Do they have to separate them for some mm -hmm. reason? Yeah. Anyway, it's very... Oh, and then, the, and then the male zebras are where the... That's the other one. The Barbary sheep, where they were. Now there's male zebras down there. Huh. So I'm like, what is happening? And then I was annoyed a no, little wait, bit. No, wait, I do remember zebras being in that area. And then I was a little annoyed with the tour guides both times because um, <laughs> the one animal that I forget what it is because it never comes out, they were out both times. They're always up when you are on that, you know, that middle part and then you start to make the turn. They're always up like right by the watering hole, a little bit off to the side a Can little bit. Can you describe them? They're kind of gray because there's like the males and females. So like they're kind of gray. And they're sexually They're not, they're not kudo, kudo. Kudo. They're not the kudo. They are sexually dimorphic, yeah. Straight horns? Pretty much. Mm. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I think the male, like, almost black, and then the female's think, a tan color. I think the male's horns weren't totally straight. Mm. I don't know. They're really pretty. Because what comes to mind and, is the sable antelope. Oh, no, no, no. It's definitely not a sable I know what a sable antelope <laughs> I is. I would hope so. Those are I'm always down I'm trying lower. To think. No, they're, like, never there. And then one time I saw them, it was the first time in all my years of going, at least that I remember, that those animals were there and the tour guy was like, oh my gosh, these guys are never out. And she talked about them. And then I've seen them twice since then and nobody said anything about them. And I'm like, I don't care about the black rhino. They're out every time. I want to know what this thing is. I've hardly ever seen the black rhino. There's two black rhino now, Aria and I forget the other one's name. Mm -hmm. Like I will see them, but up, because of that area, it's they're up. They've been, they've been up at the watering hole both times now. Literally one like in the hole, in the hole, <laughs> in the water at the edge. And then one close by. Both oh, so left. now they're in the bigger African Plains exhibits? Yes. Because before, I remember them always being in with the roan antelope. Yeah, no, they're in with the roan antelope. Oh. But that's on the left-hand side. Yeah. There's a watering hole? Yes, there's a giant water hole up at the top. Oh, wait, now... Well, that's, <laughs> see, you said giant water hole. I thought you meant the one with the island of pelicans. No, this is very... This is so helpful for everyone who's ever been to the animal park. No, the one at the top of the hill. I know what you're talking yeah. about now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Not but the I never see pelicans. them up there. Nobody's I always see now. them. Same. Under... That's the first time I've seen them up there. And now it's two times in now a I'm row. Now I'm focused on those damn antelope They were there. About. Yeah, I, it's really refreshing. I think they have them in like Zoo Tycoon or Zoo Planet, so maybe I can figure it out then. But anyway, Are they I was like, just... would you say they're like above 100 pounds? Like very mm, large or very small? They're smaller. Like mm. not like Springbok. They're not that tiny, you know, but they're... But not water buck. They're smaller. I'd say they're slightly smaller than roan antelope. It's definitely not a water buck. Mm. Anyway, they're really pretty. I'm going to figure it out, folks. When this podcast is over, I'm going to go look it up and find out so you can know. Because they're really yeah. pretty. Anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> but we should move on. Oh, my God. We've spent Can't so much time talking about the, the animal park. <laughs> uh, anyway, people come out. Although, honestly... You're not getting the full experience right now with COVID, so I would wait. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and hopefully they'll put the eland back, because I like being able to see uh. them up close. It upsets me. At least your Somali wild ass are still in the same spot, so you can see those. Anywho. See, that's 
I would not be able to be a tour guide on that because I know that's part of the incline. I was like, we're stopping and looking at the- You gotta stop there a little bit higher. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your predicament has come true. I'm sorry, sweetheart. So, um, I'm not gonna edit that out. Um, it's, I mean, I have to open the door. Um, so we 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 are recording in a new place today, uh, my my place, and the cat is locked in the room with us, and she just tried to escape, and realized the door was shut. So um, nope, she's hiding again. So I guess she's in here now. I was gonna open the door so she can get out. <laughs> oh well, Tiger Lily says hi everybody. All right. Anyway, moving on. Um, I don't know where she went to open the door to let her out. I don't think she's gonna take advantage of that right now. All right, well, we should talk about what we want to talk about today. So, Casey, I see something about a lawsuit. Go yep. for it. <laughs> so, there are some groups that are preparing for a lawsuit involving manatees. Okay. Yeah. I'm assuming in Florida? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's no else in the United States with manatees. <gasps> I'm assuming. I might... <laughs> <laughs> now he's dying. <laughs> so... So far this year, there have been over 900 manatee deaths in Florida. Oh my God. Yes. And some conservation groups are preparing a lawsuit against the United States government concerning critical habitat for the species. Okay. The groups involved are the Center for Biological Diversity, Defenders of Wildlife, and the Save the Manatee Club. They have already filed a notice that they intend to sue the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and they are claiming the agency has violated the federal law by not updating designated designation of areas as critical habitat for protecting the species. Does that really matter in Florida, though? Don't people just go past it anyway, or that they're not maintaining it? And not that's not the word, but you know, um, enforcing it. Well, it well it comes different because this is the federal government, not the state of Florida. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now to put into perspective how bad this year is for manatees, mm-hmm. the worst year previous to this one was in 2013 when there were 830 deaths. Okay. We're not even in the last quarter of this year. have already surpassed that with 905. That's crazy. Is it mostly boating accidents or what kind of... So one of the contributing factors for the deaths are is poor water quality, hmm. which has caused a significant decline in the seagrass, hmm. which is a major... S- food source for the species. Okay. And these conservation groups are alleging that the agency has violated the Endangered Species Act and Administrative Procedure Act by not revising the critical habitat to protect the species. As back in 1976, critical habitat was designated as, I quote, waterways that were known for being concentrated with manatees. And these groups are claiming that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has not complied with changes in the law that require more specific designations, and the 1976 designation does not describe any specific features for critical habitat. Okay. And the species was downlisted from endangered to threatened under the Endangered Species Act back in 2017, but with declining numbers, some suggest it may be necessary to reclassify them as endangered. Okay. And other factors contributing to the decline um, are a decline in warm water habitat, especially during winter months, and the historically awful red tide that's going on, Mm -hmm. and boat collisions as well. And due to the time it takes for restoring habitat, which would be necessary for the seagrass, 
efforts to restore it will not happen overnight and will probably be a process taking about five to ten years. Wow. That sucks. Yeah, because you have to improve the water quality before you can even start replanting some new seagrass or else you're just wasting money and that the, makes plant, sense. Yeah. the grass will die. Oh no. Yep. That makes me sad. I didn't know that they could sue people or like sue them over that. Oh yeah. I guess basically just not doing their job essentially is what they're saying. Yeah. I've seen plenty of news articles about individuals and agencies suing the federal government, different agencies and stuff like that. Hmm. Does anything ever actually come of it though? Sometimes. Okay. I feel like that's an uphill battle, but yeah. that's okay. Anyway. All right. Well, speaking of not great news. Um, it you We're know a bunch in, of Debbie Downers today. In I guess what I guess what I guess so. <laughs> um, I felt like at the beginning of this year that 2021 was kind of going to be a 2020, you know, 2.0. 2.0. Yep. <laughs> and correct. Um, we're seeing obviously the COVID issues again, and uh, all the COVIDiots as they've been named. Good times. And once again, as you remember, of course, we had such an eventful 2020 with all of our different chapters mm -hmm. of chaos. And now, folks, some of the 2020 chaos has returned. The article headline I shall read to you from Live Science, which I will be sharing, is Invasive Murder Hornets Are Officially Back in the U.S. You thought they went away, folks. They're back. So, also, who did write this? Because they, they entertained me. Gina Briner. I like her. This is an entertaining article. Okay, here we go. An invasive and destructive murder hornet has been spotted in Washington state for the first time this year, and the alien-looking insect was behaving accordingly, <laughs> attacking a hive of paper wasps. Nope. I usually don't see fun writing in these articles. That's like the AKC's yeah. job, but this is pretty great. Um, anyway, so the hornets, they describe they can reach 1.75 inches, or 4.4 centimeters, in length, and they were spotted in the U.S., um, for the first time, or the first time they were spotted, I should say, was back in December of 2019, um, but on August 11th was when they were spotted again now. So anyway, um, they, they tell you a little bit about them. This hornet exhibiting is exhibiting the same behavior we saw last year, attacking paper wasp nests. Are paper wasps okay? Are they assholes too? <laughs> they can be assholes. Okay. Most wasp people would consider assholes. That's true. Hmm. Anyway, um, Sven. I'm trying to remember. Spitzger, Spitzger, Spitzger. Mm-hmm. WSDA managing entomolo entomologist. I cannot speak today. Entomologist <laughs> said in the statement, "If you have paper wasp nests on your property and live in the area, keep an eye on them and report any Asian giant hornets you see. Note the direction they fly off to as well." Anyway, as their nickname suggests, murder hornets are savvy killers. When they find a honeybee nest, the hornets go into slaughter phase, <laughs> where they use their mega mandibles to kill and decapitate the bees by the thousands. Once they've slaughtered the hive, it takes just a few hornets several hours to take out an entire, um, an entire tens of thousands strong hive. The hornets defend the hive as their own. Obviously, they steal it. And they um, snatch up the brood inside to feed their own offspring. So they're, you know, murder hornets because they murder the wasps and the mm -hmm. bees, obviously. Anyway, um, they can inject prey with a sizable amount of venom to deliver a painful sting. And the amount of venom injected in one sting could kill a human. Though such fatalities are rare, according to the WSDA. 
Anywho, and it tells you more about it. And of course, I'll post the things so you can see all the things about them. But um, they're kind of crazy. And, and they're back in Washington State, which isn't that far from us. Also, I don't feel like they're alien looking. Like, here's a picture of them. Is that an alien that looks like an insect? That just looks like an insect to me. I feel the cat. Hi. Anyway. All right. She moved again, but she was uh, she was up against my leg. All right. So anyway, so yeah, murder hornets are back. COVID is back in a big way. So we're just 2022.0, mm. folks. It's just a little different this time. But... That pretty much wraps that up, and I'll link that article. <laughs> I mean, I'll link that article. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The point is they're back, and they're, you know, they're mean. So um, we it was time for our picks, and I keep trying to pick. I will just say most, the murder part of the name is <laughs> over-exaggerated. But they murder the bees and the wasps. Yes. They're not murdering us. They're murdering us. Yes, but things. people think they murder us. Because they have the ability to murder us. Very rare. But they're not um, trying Primarily to. due to a allergic reaction. Anyway. Fun fact, the last time how they exterminated the nest was they caught a scout and then they um, tracked it back to the nest and they exterminated the nest. So that's likely what they'll have to do with this one. This time around. Mm -hmm. Anyway, oy, invasive species, what are we going to do? Yeah. Anywho. And it's likely that the paper wasp they killed might have been an invasive species, so. <laughs> so you're fine with it. Well, no. <laughs> The slaughter phase. They decapitate the bees, Casey. It's terrible. Yes, I'm aware. It's I've all, I've rude. I've covered this in my insect behavior course. It's rude. And then these bees can't, but Japanese honeybees can fight back. It's really cool. Oh, get it, Japanese honeybees. Yes. Anyway, um, but it is time for our picks. And I was trying to do another ocean-themed thing, and I keep struggling so much. And I continue to struggle, honestly, but... Either way, still picked it. So I picked the category, and it's our favorite sea anemone. <laughs> and Casey goes first. Yes. So this one does not have a common name. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Eh, not really. <laughs> okay, then. Its scientific name is Iosactis vagabunda. Okay. So it's a relatively new species of a sea anemone in that it was first described back in 1997. And okay. I was alive then. <laughs> Wow, screw you. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, it's a lot of these when they're described. It's way before I was even born. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's true. Usually it's before my time, too. Yeah. So it, this species lives in northeastern Atlantic Ocean, mm -hmm. specifically in the Porcupine Abyssal Plain. Which what is, is that? <laughs> it's a basin, a portion of the seafloor. Um, a basin is basically kind of flat ground yeah. where there's a plate, and that's the name of the plane. But there. why is it called porcupine? That's the part that I, I don't want to know. know. Is that has spikes why. everywhere? You have to know these things, Casey. You probably know I do, have an inquisitive well, it's, mind. It's southwest of Ireland, so some probably something related to a place in Ireland is my best guess. Wow, okay. Whatever. Move along. <laughs> yeah. So it is a benthic species that lives about four to five kilometers below the surface of the ocean. And unlike enemy Annette Yep. <laughs> Unlike anemones that most people think of which live on surfaces and can be relatively colorful, this species is transparent and digs burrows. That's weird. Yes. This also makes it difficult to study because when it feels threatened, it will withdraw into its burrow, mm -hmm. so it is not collected very often in trawl nets, despite being suspected to make up a large portion of the biomass in their ecosystem. Given how much time the species spends underground, some scientists suspect that about half of the animals in the porcupine abyssal plain is this species, 
and that estimate is 100 times higher than the previous ones. Wow. Yeah. And a study found that it doesn't just pull itself into a burrow. When using uh, time-lapse photography, scientists found that it can go underground, then pop up into a new location. Whoa. But being an anemone, this is a very slow process. <laughs> And takes about 22 hours to go into a burrow, then pop up a few centimeters, several centimeters away. Wow. There are other anemones that burrow, but they tend to just stay in a single location, whereas this one kind of acts like a groundhog. A very slow groundhog. <laughs> very slow groundhog, indeed. And another bizarre aspect of this species of anemone is its feeding habits. Okay. Most deep sea anemones are suspected to be suspension feeders that just feed on small floating prey items like single-celled plankton and stuff like that. However, this species has been observed feeding on a deep-sea polychaete. What is that? It's a worm. Oh, and okay. It doesn't, and these polychaetes are cool. They don't look like earthworms or leeches at all because they have these, it looks like little feet. They're called parapodia, and they can move very fast. Aww. They're very cool, but they're also very terrifying-looking animals. <laughs> okay, so now I'm going to have to look up a picture of that. Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, polychaetes. The active swimming predatory ones will give you heebie-jeebies. I don't like that sounding. But they're cool, but creepy. Well, yeah, but okay, but we don't want the creepy, Casey. I like the creepies. Yeah, you do. That's true. <laughs> you have proven that. Yes. And in fact... They don't the... look terrifying looking. This one's cute. Yeah, wait until you see their jaws. Oh, okay. <laughs> look up Bobbit Worm. Those ones are... I don't want to look up bobbit Look worm. up the bobbit worm. It sounds terrible. <laughs> oh, now I got parakeets. That's fun. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. They were there on the other page, but when I switched <laughs> images... Okay. Anyway, continue okay. while I figure so, this out. No, I don't want parakeets. Why? Anyway, continue. So based on the photography, this polychaete is about 15 times the mass of the sea anemone. Other anemones have been <laughs> have been observed feeding on large prey items, but not in the deep sea. So this is the first time it's ever been recorded, as far as they know. Um, this does put it at some risk, however, in that in order to digest this worm, it has to have its bodies out of its burrow, stretched out um, above the ground for about 56 hours to digest it. Ew. <laughs> and given that this species may be a predator, it makes sense that it has a weird burrowing behavior in order to find better feeding grounds. Okay. So yeah, that's... That's them? Yes, that's them. So what what eats them then? Because if they're at risk because they're outside their burrow, who's after them? I would suspect possibly um, some giant isopods. Deep, there's a few deep sea sharks and fish that could eat them. Mm, okay. Crustaceans. Okay. I'm looking at more pictures of them, and I don't see terrifying jaws. Like, they still... Oh, but that is kind of gross in someone's hand. Hi, Tiger Lily. Hi. Can I say hi? Say hello to the podcast listener, Tiger Lily. If I pick her up, she'll be talking because she hates no. being picked up. Huh. Anyway, Tiger Lily's now our new mascot. Now that we <laughs> record here, she's um, a stinker. Anyway, you'll probably hear cables moving and doors being scratched at later. But anyway, moving on. Is this it? This thing with those jaws? Mm -hmm. I don't know. They're not that scary looking. Although I wouldn't want it on me. So there's that. Anyway, moving right along though. So my favorite anemone, again. Basic. Is... How dare you? I was trying to, because they don't okay, list the, 
Name. This is a close-up of its jaws. Oh, yeah, that is kind of scary. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, I was trying to go off of, like, you know, how pretty they are. As per you. But they don't have really good descriptions of them, like, exactly what they are. So it's hard to choose. So I went for one that looks pretty as much as I can tell. And I didn't know that they're everywhere, okay? They're just pretty. Well, where we live. Yeah, okay. That's because we are we live in an amazing place where there are beautiful <laughs> things everywhere. Like our little fence lizards are also adorable. Yeah. Anyway, moving right along. So my sea anemone is the aggregate green anemone, and its scientific name is anth- anthro? Antho. Anthopleura elegantissima. That's amazing. <laughs> elegantissima? I love that. Anyway. They are endemic to the west coast of the United States, ranging from Alaska down to Baja, California. The west coast is the best coast, so there you go. Anyway, um, those of the, of the species that aggregate into groups average 6 centimeters tall and 8 centimeters, centimeters wide. While solitary, they get to be 25 centimeters wide and are now considered as a separate species. What? That's weird. Okay. That's strange. So if they're all grouped together, they're going to say smaller, basically. But if they're like, screw you, I don't want friends, then yeah. they get bigger. Anyway, it's very distracting because she's checking out. Usually she's terrified of people. I know. <laughs> I'm feeling like, will I be the chosen one? <laughs> like, you've seen that meme where, like, the cat sits on your lap. It's like, I have been chosen. <laughs> exactly. Or it's like you go to a party and the dog or cat chooses to sit by you. Yep. yep. Uh-huh. 100%. She also doesn't have a choice because she's trapped yeah. in here. But anyway... But still, she's out and about and not hiding, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> cat distractions, cat distractions, if you will. But yeah, um, so I watched a talk recently, and she studies sea anemones, biodiversity, evolution, a bunch of other stuff. And it turns out, because sea anemones all look like each other a lot of the time, <laughs> yeah, much of the classification comes down to their internal structures. Oh. Yeah. Also, sea anemones can be absolutely beautiful. Until you preserve them, because when they die, they lose their color, and they look like this pale white to a brown blob. Yeah. They're really pretty when they're bright and colorful, though. Yeah. Like all Nidarians, this anemone lacks a GI tract, and instead, they have a gastrovascular cavity that has just a single opening and lack of an anus. Of course they do. <laughs> their tentacles open and have various pale colors that end with pink, lavender, or blue tips. How pretty. And outside their ring of tentacles are white knobby structures known as acrohagia. What? What is that word? Let me see it again. This one. Oh, acrorhagia. Acrorhagia. That's exciting. Which contains special stinging cells that they use for fighting for territory against other enemies. Um, anyway. So the green color of this species I is... I also use this looking up... Um, Turf war, sea anemones. It's really cool. Of is course. It? Yes. Like, I want to set the music. It's time lapse, of course. I want to set the but... music of West Side Story to it so they can fight each other. <laughs> All right. Anyway. So the green color of this species is due to the symbiotic relationship it has with Zoxanthellae. You're right the first time. Zoxanthellae. Zoxanthellae. Okay. We got there. And Zochlorelli. That that sure. was that one. <laughs> what is that supposed to be? Zochlorella. So, so Zozanthelli and Zochlorella. These are gonna be oh, wait, spelling Corelli. words. Sorry. How dare you? 
Zo Chlorelli. Chlorelli. So Zozanthelli and Zo Chlorelli. These need to be like evil stepsister names. Okay. <laughs> that live in their tissue. Let's do that sentence again because that was really broken up. Sorry, folks. The green of this species, try again. The green color of the species is due to the symbiotic relation it ha- the relationship it has with Zozanthelli and Zochlorelli, sure, that live in their tissue. <laughs> this relationship is very reminiscent of that found in photosynthetic coral, with the algae performing photosynthesis, providing sugars to the anemone. Um, and the anemone giving a home and moving toward or away from light for the algae. Also similar to corals, the anemone can lose the algae, but this typically happens due to extended low light conditions after which the anemone turns white. This condition you may see in other anemones in fish stores because they don't have the algae properly. Is that Yeah, right? they can also just get stressed out. Aww, and sometimes so some stores will do it intentionally because some people think it looks pretty. That's but mean. they'll die. Yeah, that's terrible. It doesn't take that long for them to die from it. Also, these were... It's was... called anemone bleaching. That's terrible. Like coral bleaching. Like coral bleaching. Those... I remember when I first heard the term, I thought it meant they literally soaked them in bleach. Bleach, wow. <laughs> when I was younger. When you're, you know... I'm just going to say, there was a lot of really big words, dude, in like two sentences. This is not nice. You know I don't read this shit ahead of time. <laughs> Obviously. That's why I got joy out of it. Now you're just like, let's put as many (laughs) scientific large words in there to trip her up as possible. Oh my gosh. Anyway, Um, even though it gets nutrients from the algae, the anemone still needs to eat and will eat a variety of prey items, including copepods, isopods, anthropods, and even small fish. I don't know if I said those right. We're going with you it. You did, actually. Good job, me. Um, <laughs> copepods makes me think of the Coca Cabana, though. My God. I love that song. Anyway. Um, honey, I know, but you won't commit to going outside, so you're stuck. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyway, this species has both sexual and asexual re- reproduction. That's insane. They will split themselves in a process called binary fission. Um, to create a colony, but will release sperm and eggs in spawning in a spawning event to produce new anemones with different genetic makeups. That's crazy. <laughs> this species lives in tide pool areas, so they get exposed to the air for extended periods. To cope with this, the anemone can withdraw its tentacles and decrease its size. Its body is covered in sticky bumps that collect sand, shells, and rocks, which allow it to camouflage itself and prevent it from drying out. So that's why they're basic and they're in the tide pools, basically, of the whole West Coast, essentially. Yeah, I see them literally all the time. See, I haven't been to a tide pool forever, and we're supposed to do a um, a podcast, um, Wishamahoozie, field trip, but we have to get our schedules to line up, which is tricky. Yeah. Anywho's. Yeah, like, I very rarely see them, like, actually open. It's like, they're closed up a lot, which makes me sad, because I want to poke the stings. Don't poke them. I will poke that's them. That's rude. That's the fun part Won't of it. Won't it hurt if they sting you? No. Oh. The venom doesn't affect us. Oh. Well, that's mean, though. Don't mm-hmm. poke them. I'll poke them. Do not harass the wildlife, Casey. <laughs> it's just like a touch pool in an aquarium. Is that better? They still don't want to be harassed. <gasps> it's touching the tentacles. They, as far as they know, they're killing you. <laughs> they they probably, can't even think. They have a nerve net. They probably they want don't even to have a kill brain. you. That's still rude. Please don't make noise. You're about to jump up there and knock shit down. <laughs> this is why I don't want you in here. I was hoping you'd be afraid the whole time and you would stay oh hidden. 
Oh my gosh. Um, we have a third host now, everyone. Her name is Tiger Lily, and she's a problem. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so those were our picks, the favorite sea anemones. And that brings us to our animal of the week, which is... The large tooth sawfish. The large tooth sawfish, which sounds awesome. Tell us about it, Casey. I will. Okay. So these guys come from the order Rhinopristiformes. Okay. And they are come from the family Pristidae. And their scientific name is Pristis Pristis. <laughs> That's amazing. So these guys have a global distribution across tropical waters in four distinct subpopulations. Okay. There's one in the eastern Atlantic, which ranges from Portugal to Angola. One in the western Atlantic, found from Florida down to Brazil. One in the eastern Pacific, found from Gulf of California to Peru. Want to take a guess at the last one? Um, California? I forgot what you said already. Well, the name was up. It was Eastern Atlantic, Western Atlantic, Eastern Pacific. Oh, Western Pacific. Nope, Indo-West Pacific. That was mean. Okay. <laughs> Which range from Southeast Asia down to Australia. Okay. Even though it is predominantly a marine species, they have been known to travel up rivers and have even been found in the Amazon 7,500 kilometers inland. That's crazy. Yes. Also, I just need to note, I am sick and tired of people talking online about animal stuff when they don't know what they're talking about. Because somebody, because we talked about eels before, and somebody was saying eel was the only one that can travel back and forth between saltwater and freshwater, which is not true. There's an entire term for animals that do that, which I'm getting to later. Okay. Also, quick aside, since you ranted on that, somebody um, posted in the, like, city friends group, you know? They always have those community things, and, like, uh-huh. they're talking about a bird who's eating the hummingbird. Oh, uh, um, a, oh my god, my favorite one. A roadrunner eating hummingbirds. And they were, which I'm not accustomed to, but I mean, they're like, since when do birds eat other birds? And I'm like, since <laughs> always, where have like, you existed in life? Anyway, continue. Like, one of the first birds I ever learned about was peregrine falcons. It's like, yeah, they hunt pigeons. I'm like, almost all of the birds of prey eat other birds. How have you not seen this yeah. before, crazy lady? Anyway, continue That's on. That's funny. All right. So these guys can live up into their 30s, and they don't reach sexual maturity until they're about 8 to 10 years old. Okay. And some estimates put their size up to six and a half to seven meters in length and can weigh from 500 to 600 kilograms. Wait a moment. I did not realize they were that big. Yes, they're very big. I thought they were like cool, but like, you know, not necessarily cute, but like cool, but that's terrifying. (laughs) Seven meters? Yeah. That's a friggin' shark. <laughs> yeah. Their size is pretty close to that of a great white for the largest individuals. Oh, my God, no. <laughs> That's just chilling up the Amazon sometimes? <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I have a new view on these. I didn't realize they were that big. I thought they were really cool, but thats I don't want to see that. And yeah. I can be on a boat and see that, but I don't want to be in the water. I want to go with that. You're nuts. Okay, continue. I know I am. <laughs> Not for this, but for other reasons. Okay. So they feed on a variety of species that typically live closer to the benthic level of the water. Okay. This includes false fish, but their diet consists mainly of invertebrates such as crustaceans. Okay. And despite their similar appearance, the sawfish is not a species of shark, but is actually a kind of ray. Just mind blown on these. Yes. Okay. The order Rhinopristiformes is actually the ray order. So crazy. 
and they get their name from the very distinctive rostrum that has teeth coming out of the sides of it. Yeah. Air quotes around teeth. Because the teeth are actually specialized scales called denticles. <laughs> that is my favorite yes. term ever. Yes. Denticles? Who so, named that? I love that. Cartilaginous fish like sharks and rays, their yeah. scales are called dermal denticles. That it is, means skin teeth. That is amazing. Yeah. Okay. If you look at a very, very close up image of their scales, they do their scales do look like teeth. That's so weird. Mm -hmm. Would you cut yourself on them? Depends on which way you go. But if you were to pet a shark, um, if you go one way, it's pretty smooth. You go the other way, it's like petting sandpaper. Hmm, okay. So their toothy rostrum may look intimidating, but this species is quite docile and it isn't a threat to humans. Okay. And the only time a sawfish can are ever dangerous to people is when they get caught in fishing nets. <laughs> As oh. they, and they feel stressed, they'll start swinging their rostrum back mm, and forth. Okay. And it can hurt you. <laughs> uh, they will primarily use their rostrum by swinging it back and forth to stun small fish like mullet and herring, or even small crustaceans like crabs before to stun them and then consume them. They gotta go after something as small as a little crab when mm. they're that big. Yeah. Okay. And just go switch. It's gonna take a lot of crab to fill that up. Yeah, they're ectotherms, so. They don't need to eat that much. That's good. And like several rays and denthic sharks, they do not need to keep swimming to breathe. Rather, they have holes located behind their eyes that suck water in, which pushes across their gills for gas exchange. Hmm. Those are called spiracles. Okay. Denticles and spiracles. <laughs> this is amazing. And it is a urahaline species. What does that mean? That means that it has the ability to move across salinity gradients. Oh, okay. That's what so that's changes called. in the amount of salt in water. And because of this unique feat ability, this species can be found in estuaries, lagoons, and even rivers. Okay. There's actually a population of sawfish that lives in Lake Nicaragua. Oh. Mm -hmm. And the juveniles will actually start their lives off in freshwater environments for about four to five years before they move into estuarine and marine habitat. Okay. And like the majority of rays, the sawfish gives live birth. And the species is specifically ovoviviparous. Okay. You remember what that means? Yes, because that's the one I can remember. <laughs> Where it's like they give birth, they have eggs, but they give birth to live young and then it comes yeah. out. Yeah. They have eggs that hatch in the uterus. Yeah. And then the yolk kind of acts like a placenta. And then they give birth. Yep. Now, do you see something wrong with a sawfish giving live birth? Yeah. It could get cut. Yes. So in sawfish pups, the teeth in the saw have not fully emerged when they're born. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, they are covered by a sheath of tissue that prevents them from hurting their mother. Okay. It's kind of cute looking. It's like this little jelly thing that surrounds It's them. like a little sheath for like yeah. a sword. That's cute. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, this species is listed as critically endangered by the IUCN Red List. Okay. They also declared the family the Pristidae, those are all sawfish, mm -hmm. um, as the most endangered among the elasmobranchs in the world. What is an elasmobranch? Those are most of the cartilaginous fish. They include sharks, rays, and skates. Wow, okay, yep. that's not good. Yep. They are listed under Appendix 1, Uncites. Currently, the only legal trade of this species is of live specimens for public aquarium sourced from Australia. 
Hmm. Yes. And Edge of Existence lists them at number one for their Sharks and Rays list and has the highest ranking score of any species they have ever assessed. Whoa. Yes, they have an evolutionary distinctiveness score of 99.298, meaning this species represents nearly 100 million years of distinct evolutionary history. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, I'm, I'm thrown. So this is the most... The number one of all of Edge. Yes. We've talked about a lot that are pretty, like, high. I mean, I don't know their ranking, but mm -hmm. they're pretty crazy on Edge, yeah. right? This is number one? This is number one. That's crazy, dude. Yes. I'm still terrified how big they are. But anyway. Yes. Okay. And like many of its relatives, it has been exploited for its fins. But it is most often hunted for its unique rostrum. They are treated... Yes. They are traded okay. for their teeth, meat, organs, and skin for various uses, including as curios, ceremonial weapons, and traditional medicine. I could see the ceremonial weapon. Mm -hmm. But, you know. Yeah. People. People, yeah. <laughs> they are also threatened by the fishing industry as bycatch and losing habitat due to habitat modification and pollution. Okay. And crucial conservation action that is needed includes enforcing the CITES ban. Yeah. National protection by countries where they are found. Reduce the amount, how often they're caught as bycatch. Mm -hmm. And preservation of mangrove coastal habitats, which is where they are often found giving birth. Where? Okay, so obviously there are mangroves in Florida. Mm -hmm. Where else are they? I mean, obviously they exist in other places in the world. But for some reason, like, Florida is the only one I associate with that. So, I, probably down in Mexico, okay. there's places, because there's also a population in the Indo-West Pacific, near Australia, and the islands there. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. All right. And it was listed under the Endangered Species Act back in July of 2011, after several failed attempts to do so previously. Wow. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. I had never heard of these until you put them on our like potential list. Yep. And then I looked them up and I'm like, that's cool. Yep. It's one of my favorites. Still terrified how big it is. Like, that's crazy to mm -hmm. me. But yep. like, what if it just turns? Yep. It's like a pity. Like it just turns quickly and hits you with that <laughs> on accident, you know? There's a few, there's very few aquariums that have these guys. You'd have to have a pretty big space for mm -hmm. them. Yep. But they're really cool. They're one of my favorites. They're pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I think this is one of my favorites now too. Um, all right. Well, Casey. Yes, Abby. What famous life ad advice did the clownfish give his son? I have no clue. Keep your friends close and oh your enemies closer. <laughs> he got it as I was saying it. Yeah. I was like, I know where this is going. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Casey. It's great. It's pretty great. Keep your enemies closer, Casey. Okay. So they can sting people. All right, anyway. Fun fact with um, a clownfish, if you keep an aquarium with them, if you have an anemone, they get much more territorial. Really? Yes, they become assholes. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yep. Can they be together without an anemone, without yeah. being assholes? Mm-hmm. How many can you put, how many cl clownfish? <laughs> how many clownfish can you put in a tank together? It depends on, no, like, I mean territorial with other fish. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll be fine living together as long as you have enough space. Um, also, anemones are a pain in the ass for aquariums. Yeah, I would think Because so. one thing that makes them different from corals is they move. <laughs> <laughs> they can kind of mess with stuff. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Also, if you want um, 
Some the anemones can just be more difficult to take care of, um, depending on your setup. But um, one group of corals, there's a species of stony corals that kind of looks like anemones. Mm -hmm. And if you're not don't know about marine biology much, you'll probably think it's anemone. And those are um, elegance corals. Oh, nice. They look like anemones. Okay, cool. And they won't move. Elegance corals. Part of mine's scientific name had elegance in it. Yep. That's cool. Anyway. All right. Well, that brings us to our challenge. Yes. And it's Casey's turn for the challenge, so I have no idea what to expect. It's probably not going to be great for me. What are you doing? Oh, my God. She wants a review. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. So I called this challenge native or invasive. Okay. So I will give you an animal, mm -hmm. a region, and you have to tell me whether or not you think it's invasive or native to that area. Okay, this is going to go terribly. Got <laughs> it. Let's do it. Yes. I'm trying to figure out how much, because there's there's 18. Okay. I don't... You think you could do it in five minutes, or do you need 10? Let's just do 10. Okay. <laughs> I probably won't need 10 minutes, but... All right. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So... Red Eared Slider, California. Um, I think invasive. That is correct. Okay. Honeybee, United States. Invasive? Correct. Okay. Red Fox, Germany. Ooh. I don't know. I'm going to say native. You are correct. Okay. Morning Gecko, Mexico. Oh, I don't know the difference of a morning gecko. I'm going to say it's native because I really don't know. Incorrect. Okay. Giant Gippsland Earthworm, Australia. What the hell is that? I don't know. You know what? It has giant in the name and it's Australia, so I'm just going to say it's native because they have weird shit there. You are correct. Okay, great. Come on, you piece of shit. It's <laughs> like, what is with you right now? Oh, my God. Oh, that's why I'm an idiot. Good job. Brown Tree Snake, Guam. Um, I don't know. I'll say native. It's invasive. Okay, great. Yucca moth, California. Hmm. Oh, we have yucca plants. Are they invasive? I thought they were native. I'm going to say native. You are correct. Okay. Peafowl, India. I have no idea, but that's where I associate them with, so I'm going to say native. You are correct. Okay. Yellow Crazy Ant, Christmas Island. Okay, well, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I know nothing about Christmas Island, so I'm just going to say yes. I, I mean, not, not yes, but native. <laughs> it's invasive. Okay. Walking Catfish, Asia. What the hell? We got to talk about a walking catfish. What the hell is that? Um, I'm going to say native. I don't know. You are correct. Okay. Wrong color. <laughs> <laughs> Mandarin Duck, England. Invasive. You better have gotten that one right. <laughs> Little Blue Heron, Brazil. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say invasive. I really don't know. It is native. Dang. Cane Toad, Mexico. Oh, in Mexico? Well, I know they're not supposed to be in Australia. So I'll say native. You are correct. Okay. Red Imported Fire Ants, Peru. Red Imported Fire Ants? Yes. Um... I feel like they have a lot of fire ants in that general area. I'll, I'll, you better not, this better not be a trick question. I'm going to say they're invasive because they have imported in their name. That is incorrect. They're oh my God, that's native. rude. Why are they imported then? That's stupid. Because they're imported elsewhere. 
Ugh, so dumb. Okay, continue. Common carp, United States. No idea. I will say native. It's invasive. Okay, great. Sulfur-crested cockatoo, Australia. I have no idea. I'm going to say invasive. They're native. Damn it. <laughs> Red lionfish, Caribbean. Um, I don't know. A red lionfish? How many different lionfish are there? Several. Oh, God. I don't know. I'll say it's native. It's invasive. Cool. Great. Common mina, South Africa. I don't even know what that is. It's a bird. Okay. So, no clue. I guess I'm going to get it wrong because I'm going to switch positions. I've been doing or natives all the time, so now I'll say invasive and it's going to be native. Invasive. It is invasive. Okay, good. All right. So, you got one, two, three, four... You got nine out of 18 correct. I mean, honestly, it's about as well as I thought it would go. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't think it'd go any better than that. Yep. All right. Well, go me. Yeah. And we've learned some things, folks. Mm -hmm. Go team. <laughs> anyway, um, but that is our last week in the Atlantic Ocean. Next week, next month, we start Europe and the Arctic. So woohoo for mm -hmm. those animals. Thank you so much for listening to episode 56. I double checked. <laughs> As always, we're your host, Sally. And Casey. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Animal Addicts Podcast.